Well, good morning, Spark Your Fire listeners. Uh, it's John uh, here with uh, David and Jazz for another episode of Spark Your Fire. Good morning to you, gentlemen. Good Happy morning. Friday, <laughs> Happy Friday. I'm Happy not too sure. It's yeah. Anyway, but it's a, it's a beautiful Friday here in Sydney. I've got to say, um, yeah, it's perfect weather, right, John? I think it, it is. It's perfect weather to talk about great investors and their motivational tips. How, how about that for a segue? <laughs> we love it, mate. We love it, don't we all? I think I I, I tend to find that uh, yeah, that it's always good to be able to get around on a Friday. Now I kind of miss it from time to time. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's always good to be able to see you both on a Friday. Talk Definitely. about motivational and inspirational investors. Just to just to all the ascendant fans on this podcast, sorry you guys lost to Richmond last week. Oh, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> from our Victorian there. You see, Jazz is Jazz is wearing his thinking cap today as well, which is good. <laughs> all right. Well, look, it's um. Good to see you both. Today we're gonna we're gonna talk about one of the the world's great investors, and he, he, he's this one's a bit of a favourite. Um, but he, he the name might be a bit obscure to you. So he, this is this is a, a name that belongs up there with Warren Buffett and and Charlie Munger and those sorts of guys. But he was really big in the nineties and the noughties and even before. So uh, we, today we're going to talk about the um, the top five investing tips of Peter Lynch. Now Peter Lynch ran the Magellan Fund. Uh, for 13 years. And then he became a philanthropist and did the, the sort of speaker circuit during the noughties and, and even today he's still alive. Um, so when he ran the Magellan Fund, process this, uh, listeners, he he made on average per year 29.2%, which is just staggering. So that's double the returns of the S&P 500 over the 13-year period. So we're talking about a true titan of the um, investing world, and today we're going to go into his top five tips. How does that sound to you, gentlemen? It's amazing what he has achieved uh, on a consistent basis, I think. 29.2% of annual return. That's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's insane. You Can't know what? Wait it again. <laughs> The other thing I like, if you if you go on a, a bit of a, a, a treasure trove binge watch of Peter Lynch, there's tons of material on him, but it's all that sort of grainy 90s uh, footage. So we're actually going to go back and learn some lessons. A lot of these lessons are from the, uh, the dot-com crash from the noughties when he was doing the speaker circuit and how he made money through the, the crash of the 80s. So we're going to talk about key principles and uh, we're going to start with his first key tip, which he thinks is the most important one, which is... Number one, know what you own. Know what you own. Now, these are always, these these pearls of wisdom always come in very simple packages. But what he says is that you, you know, that you need to be able to explain what you own. And the way he puts it is you need to explain what you own to a 10-year-old in under two minutes. And he says that where most people get caught out is they they own the um, these really complicated things that are the next big thing that's going to change the world. And in one of his videos, he rattles off all these complicated, uh, you know, floppy disk and, you know, technical terms. And then he said at the end of this two-minute spiel, why would you own this junk? So... We live in a, an investing world that's far, which has a lot more tech actually than than when he was around. Jazz, I wanted to ask you, what, what what do you think of the know what you own in the context of, you know, complicated investment uh, companies and theses? I think 
that's such a good point that he's made. Know what you own, especially for the youngsters who are trying to invest, whether it's in the stock markets or these days, crypto is pretty popular with the youngsters. Um, take example of either, let's just pick maybe crypto uh, as an example. There's about what 10,000 plus coins out there, right? There's not even those many gods in India. Uh, which one's more dodgy or I don't know, but <laughs> they, uh, the point is, when, when you're investing your money, don't look at the price, that the price is going up, uh, the graph is looking green, beautiful, and it's heading north, so I'm gonna buy it. Uh, you gotta understand the fundamentals of why you're trying to buy what you're trying to buy. And that's whether with property or whether with stocks or whether with crypto, like a lot of people we mm -hmm. see uh, put their money into the, into the likes of mining stocks and all. Why? Because precious metals or uranium, something's gonna go up. And because of that, this is gonna go up. But essentially what you're not looking at is that there's a company behind it and that company has gotta have some fundamentals and some principles and values uh, that align with your investment criteria. So if you are purely buying uh, because someone else is buying it, it's never gonna work out. Understand what, you, what, you, what you're buying. Uh, do your analysis on that. Don't just look at the price story. I, th I think is the point here. Yeah, yeah, David. That's just pretty much explained it all, <laughs> mate. I'm not too sure what else I can add. <laughs> Says you stole everything. <laughs> but yeah, look, in, in essence, that's pretty, he summarized really well there. Um, I think the way that he uses the analogy, if I put it into the Aussie term, because he was using the American type of term, is like, you go on a barbecue, you know, talking to your mates and then they say, oh, mate, you know, you should be buying Netflix, for example, right? Because it's going up. Mm. And you go, oh, fantastic. I'm going to go buy Netflix because it just started to go up, that kind of stuff without doing due diligence. And he said, people rush to buy things as well, right? <laughs> to a degree, it's kind of like, um, and so, you know, it's a bit like hearsay, she says, like, don't, don't follow that norm. You know, you, you really got to understand what you're buying behind it. What's the balance sheet telling you? What's other, you know, EPs and that kind of things are telling you? look at the statistics, look at the past historical performances, really understand what this company is about, right? And, uh, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I own Tesla stock, so I use this as an analogy. Most people probably still think that Tesla is, Tesla is an EV company. They just basically sell EV cars, but they're actually a lot more than that. So do you really know what the company does and what, what, really, what you're really buying into? Um, so that's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's essentially the, the underlying material. And if you cannot clearly and succinctly elaborate why you're buying into this company, like John said, within two minutes to a 10-year-old, then in his terms, you don't know what you're buying, basically. Yeah. Simple as that. Long and I think he also used Dunkin' Donuts as an example, John, there, right? So he did indeed. Yeah. yeah, so uh, that's right. Uh, that's right, David. Uh, after his long spiel about this uh, techno babble, he says, and that's why I bought Dunkin' Donuts. And everyone burst out laughing. Uh, but he, then he says, I made 15x on Dunkin' Donuts. And he draws the analogy to Warren Buffett, who made, uh, I think it's something like if you've held Coca-Cola for 30 years, you would have made 30 times yeah. your money, 30 years. Mm. And it comes back to like, it's it's, it's not just know what you own, know what the business does. It's, it's know how the business makes revenue. And if it's, they sell tins of soft drink, well, that's easy, right? So these, these uncomplicated business models, Charlie Munger talks about the same thing, Jazz. So the donut example that he's given is actually a very great example. What he's trying to say is 
don't try to predict. And I know this is one of the points that you're going to, you're going to bring, John, but what he's saying is don't try and predict the economy or the money supply or the interest rates or the inflation. He goes, mm. I'm buy, buying the donut company because they are made over here locally. I don't have to worry about what the import and export policy is going to be tomorrow. Yeah. I don't have worry. I don't have to worry about the exchange rate. I don't have to worry about the uh, the supplies. It's all being made locally. And I know people like to eat donuts. And what I do understand is that the donuts are super tasty, yummy. Um, I'm going to buy them. Simple as that. Mm. So he's going by his. So what what he's basically betting on is the taste of the donut is going to remain the same. Everything else that happens around the world, he doesn't give a fuck about that. Essentially, mm. his point is that this company will perform because their product is good and their product is not relying on all the surrounding factors. Yeah, he says that there's no cheaper Korean import that's going to come in and um, out, out compete Dunkin' Donuts. He said, uh, when it, whenever there's a recession, I walk past a Dunkin' Donuts to still people at the counter. Um, and apparently the, the apparently the coffee's good too. That they've got like a they they empty the the beans every fifteen minutes or something like that. And uh, he gives another example. U.S. John. I oh, know. I look I, I, <laughs> by U.S. standards, the coffee's good. Oh, I didn't say that out loud. Um, but but he also gives an example of his uh, wife came home and she said. This pantyhose that I'm wearing right now is the best freaking pantyhose I've ever tried on. And he, 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 I don't know, did his diligence. I'm sure he didn't wear any of it, but he, um, he said, he went around, he said, like, this is the best pantyhose and it's such a simple business, you know, it's pantyhose. So we went and bought that and made gazillion X on his money there. So simple business models, simple revenue models. Again. So he trusted his wife's instincts or because she uses the product. It's not dependent upon anything else. Uh, which is the macro economy. Mm. Uh, the business itself is producing a good and the good is really good. So I'm going to go yeah. and buy the stock yeah. for that company. Yeah. Another example I think that he gave was they stayed at a hotel and the hotel provided a great service and the um, the rooms were neat and tidy. They were good. It was a good quality uh, hotel, whatever the name was. I don't remember that now. But again, um, He's, he's, he doesn't have to be dependent upon the macro economy yeah. or that hotel to perform. Yeah, in a COVID-like situation, there may be a temporary effect, but that's temporary thing that you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, keep it yeah. simple. There's, there's one other, just to, to wrap up, know what you own, which is all about sort of simplicity. Um, there is one aspect which is maybe a little bit more contentious where he says he always talks about buying local. Now, he's, he's talking about shares, but I wonder if that can apply to different asset classes like real estate, like buy local stuff that you understand, that you see, that you know exists, that you know, um, that you can understand. I wonder if there's a, a lesson for real estate as well in there. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it applies to real estate because you can make a lot of money uh, being more adventurous in real estate. But that's an interesting point as well. Again, for our average investor out there who's trying to make money through real estate as an example, know what you own, right? So if yeah. you are going and buying in a mining town and you don't know the ABC of that town, <laughs> you you fucked it up right there, there and then because the price is either going to go up 300% or going to go down 90%. Mm. Uh, so you're betting on your good luck charm. Might as well buy a lottery ticket, right? So Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but if, you, if, you, if you've got the right team in place to help you with that, then generally you do good. Yeah. Actually, he does keep saying in the when he says know what you own that this is not a lottery ticket this is a business you are buying a business this is a business with employees that pays 
dividends and has customers. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, hot, hot stocks isn't going to cut it. But that's the problem. 99% of the people out there will buy the stock probably because the price is going up, right? Mm. Which is equivalent to going at a, which is equivalent to going at a casino and playing a rapid roller and looking at the color or oh, it's red. So the next one's going to be red as well. Maybe, but if it's not, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <good> luck, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, so number number that that was good. That was good. Number number two is don't try to predict stock markets or interest rates. So don't predict the macro economy. This is exactly what Warren Buff- Warren Buffett said. Uh, David, what what's your what's your take on that? Don't worry about yeah, predictions. Basically, I don't think anyone can can predict things like like these, right? Like stock market is very rational, like we've seen basically in our real life terms at the moment. You know, we're seeing tech stocks slashing 30, 40%. Bitcoin, Luna, Terra dropped 99%, that kind of stuff. You know what? These, these market, financial market assets doesn't necessarily follow a logic at the moment. And because it's, people act on sentiments and emotions rather than based on facts. You know, if you look at companies at the moment, a lot of those uh, tech companies, their financials are still really, really strong. Um, so that doesn't really impact anything uh, fundamentally about the company in terms of their profitability, in terms of their balance sheets, et cetera, et cetera, their earning, uh, earning capability. But, you know, why is the value, you know, the, the actual company value is still there, but the actual stock value keeps going down at the moment. So there is really no correlation <laughs> at the moment in terms of, and there's no point in terms of wasting your time on predicting how the market is going to go. Um, to that extent, I, re- I totally agree with what Peter Lynch is saying here. Essentially, when you, and this ties in back again about point one, about know what you own. If you have done all your due diligence about a company, uh, talking about stocks, for example, if you're buying into a company, you've done your old due, all your due diligence, um, you, you understand that this is a good company to hold for long term. Don't worry about whether it's going to go up and down in terms of the, the prices, right? Like basically my, my, my philosophy is kind of like buy when you can uh, to, a, to a degree. And if you hold a long-term perspective, then yeah, it's, it's, going to, it's going to do quite well. So don't try to predict what the interest rate is going to do <laughs> because ultimately no one knows. There's been talks at the moment about what Fed's probably going to have to drop it at some point when inflation is a bit more under control. Otherwise, just you know, it's it's a it's a really difficult position that all the uh, all the central banks have been put into in the world right now because they they don't want to they don't want to kill the economy, but at the same time they're going to make sure that the inflation is under control. But how much will, how high would it go? Nobody knows. And how low could it drop to after inflation is under control? Nobody knows. Yeah. Right. So what's the point of predicting? Yeah. That's my view. He says if anyone could predict interest rates, they'd be billionaires. And he says, at my last count, there aren't that many billionaires. Um, In fact, he says, and again, this is time-stamped because these are old videos, but he said Alan Greenspan can only predict short-term rates for about six months. Mm. So he doesn't say, he goes, if Alan Greenspan doesn't know what interest rates are going to do, you have no chance. Uh, Jazz, what was your your thought on making predictions? So I agree and disagree with him on that one. And let's go with the agree part. First, uh, that's pretty much what David said. I mean, if you're a long-term investor, a value investor who's long-term, who's looking at a long-term play, uh, you really don't need to look at the economy or try and predict that. As long as you're buying the right company, whether it's Coca-Cola or whether it's Tesla, I'm not saying whether any of these are right or wrong, but uh, I'm just naming some, uh, then it's fine. The, the macroeconomy shouldn't should never worry you. 
but for if you if you are an active fund manager or if you are an active investor or if you are an active trader whichever category you come under i don't think this is uh, 100% accurate uh, predicting maybe back in the days when when these guys used to these hedge funds used to invest it was a different story but with the technology advances and the information available so readily everywhere uh, to look at whether it's the uh, fed's website or whether whether it's the twitter or whether it's facebook i don't know wherever it is right um, i think there are enough ways to find out facts about the economy or call them economic facts and make some reasonable judgments about what the future economic policy is going to look like so as an example on this podcast we said about a year ago or 7 months ago maybe the rates will most likely go higher or we said the property market has bottomed right or that crypto will outperform they were all predictions but those predictions had some facts behind them but they were still predictions again it's it depends on who we are trying to target over here right if it's a long term investor who is a passive long term investor yeah don't don't worry about it it's not it's not possible because it's a, it's more than a full time job right um but if you are active and playing a hedge fund game whether it's on a 12 months return basis or whether it's on a 6 uh, months or whether if you're a trader i think uh, i'll disagree from that perspective yeah i i i think i think you're right look there's it's okay to have a world view and and i'm very guilty of making trying to make predictions but i i don't really kind of i make a pr- predictions out of interest but not necessarily uh, act on them necessarily um but um i think what he's saying is is the sort of thing where someone will say look i've i've got money uh to buy a property i've 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 got finance what i'm going to do though is i'm going to wait um 18 months because i think interest rates will be lower then it's like what what like how would you know and i think it's those sorts of those sorts of predictions but if you say this year i think crypto is going to be the best performing asset and it definitely will not be but let's say crypto is going to be that's a prediction it's it, maybe it's slightly hollow because what's going to happen who knows but i think it's more that sort of action oriented forecasting that 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 he's got a problem with but i think it does take us nicely into the third point um which is don't make predictions follow economic facts so facts versus predictions and don't try to make predictions so he he's sort of saying to discern what is an opinion and what is a fact because he says look there are some economic factors that i'm interested in i want to know what if i'm investing in hotels i want to know what the what what the vacancy rate is or if i'm um investing in the automotive business i want to know what uh if second hand car prices are going up or down um but they're facts they're not predictions so jazz what i know you kind of wanted to round out your last point as well but how do you tie that facts versus predictions into this this point as well which is similar to the last so so it it's kind of the same story we were discussing just before is facts are known right so it's a fact the data is available to you now what do we, what, what's the job of economist to look at the data and try and predict what's going to happen over the near future now a prediction could be a steve keen like prediction where he's been saying that there's going to, there's going to be a property ca- crash for the last i don't know whatever good four decades 
and he sold all his property uh, and after that property probably doubled or tripled three times. So that's the team type prediction, right? He can't make an economic prediction 10 years in advance. It's not possible. Uh, but then at the same time, you can also look at those facts and try and make some reasonable predictions on a short-term basis. So as an example, the rates are going to go up over the next three months, we are saying, right? So whether it's a 0.5 or a 0.2, which means generally that the market sentiment is going to be low, which means the prices are not going to gain much momentum and there might be another correction. So you can make that kind of prediction for short-term trades, uh, but is it helpful? Again, comes down to who's who's dealing with that information, person to person. Yeah, I think there's there's micro predictions and macro predictions. So yeah. a micro prediction would be more people are going to be driving electric vehicles in ten years, and a macro prediction would be uh, something about interest rates or government policy or debt debts and deficits. And I think what he's saying is don't bother with don't bother with macro. Yeah, look, I think that's a really good point, Jazz, that you that you mentioned there. But um, yeah, in, in terms of the actual predictions, I think I think it comes down to it, it, it is an in depth discussion, and, and it's different to each personnel. A lot of times, I think it's it's important to distinguish facts and opinions. I think that's probably the mm-hmm. two two main ones, right? Mm-hmm. So, and and um. Predictions in the in a very loose sense is, I guess, in my in my term, is you look at what has happened in terms of the factual information, you then consolidate and then you infer in terms of what could possibly happen uh, in that sense. Whereas opinion might not necessarily have gone through that statistical evidence or factual evidence type of verification before you actually make that uh, type of um, type of uh, prediction. So uh, I don't know. That's my. That's my personal opinion. There is a big difference in terms of uh, that prediction versus uh, or facts versus opinions. Uh, in that sense, you just got to be careful again who you listen to, <laughs> to a, to a degree. And what was and what was the track record? Uh, what what the, what are they focusing on? Um, are they are they making these inferences based on past historical data in terms of what has happened? Uh, even though we keep saying that the past performance may not necessarily equal to the future, but at least that's the best way we can gaze into, like you said, probably in the short term, six months type of thing. In the long term, not really, not really possible. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, learn from the history. I think that's that's mm. that's probably one of the key points uh, in terms of in terms of predictions. But yeah, there's there isn't really much, and even the facts- much else. Even mm-hmm. even the facts that you have, it's person to person how they analyze the facts to come up with the prediction. So you may analyze a fact in a very different way to the way I will analyze it and we'll have make up two different predictions. So the data that's available. Exactly. It, basically. So the, there can be multiple outcomes from the same data points, right? Depending upon who's analyzing it. So the point here is that try and not make your investing uh, 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 more of a gamble by going into the predictions and all that stuff. Just play the long-term game. And the long-term game is that I've looked at this company, the fundamentals marry up, whether it's Coca-Cola or whether it's Dunkin' Donuts or whether it's uh, John XYZ, whatever it is. Yeah, It comes, comes back to just keep it simple, really. Yeah, Keep it, keep it simple. Yeah, I, th- I think people get into trouble when they make predictions that are too big. So, for example, um, the market is going to go down. 
All right. Well, which, which market? So maybe maybe the New York property market's going to go down, but maybe Miami will go up, or maybe pharmaceutical companies are going to uh, going to boom, uh, but uh, tech's going to correct. So when when the problem with predictions is not just that it's too presumptive about information that you don't have, but it's also about you'd have to make too many broad assumptions about too many things, and so you can only make these broad assumptions that are so broad they're meaningless. Um, the, there is no the market. There's there are sectors and there are segments and there's a, it, it's just the sum of all the micro economies. So when people say to me, John, you know, I'm I'm going to wait twelve months to buy a property. It's like there is no the, the because the market's going to go down. Well, what, what's the market? Yeah, you and, and you don't want to predict the price of a stock based on a prediction that a company is making that, oh, you know what, we're going to come up with this rare technology and that's our prediction and this is mm. how we're going to do it. So you're making a prediction from a prediction. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> just, just find something, just find a good asset. Yeah, find a good <laughs> asset that pays you, pays you cash flow. All right. Number four, you need an edge to make money. You need an edge to make money. Um uh, he, I think it comes back to knowledge here, but I'm going to throw it over to David. Um, your thoughts on this. You need an edge to make money. I think this one we touched on a few times. I can't remember which, uh, you know, the, with, all the, with all the wisdoms that we had previously with multiple investors, right? Like you need to, you need to basically develop a, a skill, a specific expertise in a certain areas and, and be able to understand and, and be able to pick that. So I think, you know, using a property analogy again, um, you know, you need to you need to really specialize and focus in, in an area that you understand well. You know the fundamentals, are the numbers stacking up? What type of people wanting to buy property? Is it investors? Is it owner occupiers who want to live here? Vacancy rates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know that's basically sharpening your knowledge and your well, so inverted commas edge uh, in terms of basically be able to make some money out of that. Because as long as you're good with some certain skills, that's how you can basically make some money and make some and make a reasonable investment decision in terms of picking the right asset, the right location uh, in stocks, pretty similar. You look at the data, uh, the fundamentals of the company, understand why you're buying into the company, understand why that company has an edge against each other uh, or, or against other companies uh, in that sense, before you make jump uh, into buying that company. So that's my understanding basically of, uh, of this one. Jazz, yeah, I like it. So, so this one we have discussed before, David's right, in a few of the other pods. Mm. Uh, and it directly relates to uh, Buffet's famous saying, circle of competence. Yeah. So it's exactly the same thing. What essentially he's saying, what, uh, what essentially Peter is saying is, keep what's the edge you have? Or explaining more in layman's term, all of us have got some talent, different talents, right? Talent is natural. Every single one of us has got one or the other form of talent. But to make that talent a skill, you need to spend hours and hours and hours of time to make it a skill. Average they say is roughly what about, what about 10,000 hours, I think is what they say, right? So maybe if your talent is uh, picking up the stocks, let's just say as an example, growth stocks in a particular sector, then that's your circle of competence. Buffett's circle of competence was more uh, tangible stocks like Coca-Cola, as an example, right? He never understood tech. Uh, 
You look at likes of uh, what's his name, uh, Ray Dalio. His talent is more uh, all weather portfolio kind of thing. Right? Mm. That's that's where he's always focused yeah, sure. on. Right. Um, so it it it's really understanding your circle of competence or knowing what your talent is, and then just spending time um, day after day to make it a make it a skill uh, that you're at a point where you can do back off and develop numbers to say, you know what, the stock is priced at the right price or not, or the if you're doing a property development that, yep, if I do this development subdivision, blah, yada, 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 mm-hmm. uh, it will work out well. So I, I, this one we've discussed many times. It's, it's yeah, just so yeah. And it's, it's hard. It's not easy to figure out what your circle of competence or what your talent is. That's why most of the people, 99% will uh, hand over their money to, to, a, to a portfolio manager to, to deal with it. Because again, yeah. it's a it's it's a skill and it requires a lot of hours to be put in. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think this also comes back to his point and a point I made earlier, which is maybe a little bit controversial, but the buy local. He means it in terms of stocks. He means like Dunkin' Donuts was at my local um, uh, Westfield shopping center and, and I could see the lines and I knew people demanded it. But it was it was something that, so you have an advantage in something that you, can see, touch, feel for yourself. You have an advantage in that. When you're uh, seeing a, you know, like a BHP mine, I've never been to a BHP mine. Someone else would have expertise in that and people who live in Broken Hill, for example, but, um, but, but you have a natural, you have an expertise in things that you can see. But it brings us to the, the last point, number five, which is again, similar. It's about sort of knowledge and expertise, but it's uh, understand your natural advantages. So it's the advantages that you yourself have within you. Uh, Jazz, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? I think it's similar to I think it's having an edge. But- I just said, it's pretty much what I just said before. I'll probably repeat that, that everyone's got a talent. That's your natural edge, right? You just got to figure out what that talent is and how do you make that a skill? As an example, John's skill is that he's naturally good at finding uh, kick-ass properties wherever wherever he does, um, whether it's at a good price or whether it's at the right price or whether it's at a cheap price, but long-term potential, solid. Right? The, the point is that everyone's good at something, right? So David, on a, on a, on a serious note, is obviously good at numbers. So he is so with, with his business, right? So everyone's got some talent, whatever that is. Um, it's just how do you make it a skill over the period of time? And that skill can be developed as well, Jazz. I remember that you were, you know, you're now looking at a lot of graphs and you're doing a lot of analytics as well, um, you know, which is which is a skill that you may not have necessary for that you would develop two years ago, let's say, for example, right? And by doing that analysis, you're now able to uh, consolidate and kind of peek into a future in terms of making reasonable inferences to say what's going to happen next uh, in, that, in that sense. So, yeah, like, you know, that so-called competence can be developed. It's not, it's, it, it's something that, you know, it, a lot of times it, it changes your your personal interest changes as you as you progress with your age and different type of things and you gain different skills over time um and uh but i think the the to bring it home basically you know just in john's example or if you work in it that kind of things then naturally speaking you would have a lot more advantages if you're looking at it companies you know the, the type of zero the type of um you know that that kind of companies um if you work in mining you know BHP bulletin, um, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. So, you know, you will eventually, as part of what you do on a day-to-day basis, you'll develop a natural advantage in terms of certain sectors and industries. Um, and if you further sharpen that, then that becomes your competitive advantage in comparison to 
other people or X, Y, Z uh, when, you, when you try to look at investing. And, and a, another great example that comes to mind is leaders are born, not made. Now, they may not know that they are the leaders, right? But that's, that's the skill that they need to brush. Uh, it's, it's knowing what your natural advantage is. And if your natural advantage is being a leader, then it's being a leader. If it is um, being alone uh, and uh, firing up 10 companies at once, launching rockets, then that's your, that's your natural advantage. So. But I think, I think once you know what you're good at, by default, you know what you're not good at. And there's a section in Peter Lynch's book where he says he spends five pages uh, listing out all the companies that went 10x that he didn't buy opportunities that he missed. He said there were so many companies that went 10X that he missed. He only got, he went from A to L. He didn't get to Z because he only needed to own a couple of stocks to make 15X. He only needed one Dunkin' Donuts. So he's quite happy to miss opportunities if it's outside his, you know, circle of competence, as long as he's investing in the stuff he knows well. Mate, you just made such a good point right there. If, and I really don't want listeners to miss this one, is what you just said is eliminate who you are not first. If you eliminate who you are not, then you know who you are, which means you just found your circle of competence or your talent. That's gold. That's gold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listeners, I, I think I think that's awesome. What I would I would suggest, guys, g- Google Peter Lynch, go put Punchy's name into into YouTube. There's so much good stuff there, and he's a fairly entertaining chap. Um, and he did he did a lot of uh, uh, talks around the time of the, to- the 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 tech bust. So he he's got a lot of there's a lot of stuff that he's done about how to invest in a downturn. That's really interesting. So I'd, I'd direct you to him. So the five the five tips from Peter Lynch are know what you own. Don't predict the stock market or interest rates. Don't predict the economy. Number three, uh, distinguish between opinions and economic facts. Uh, Don't try making predictions. Number four, you need an edge to make your money. And number five, understand your natural advantages. Um, Guys, any any final comments before we we wrap up? No, just what's everyone's personal favorite? Curious. For, for me, for me, it's it's um, it's know what you own. It's know what you own. That's the hardest part too, isn't it? Right? Mm-hmm. It's the hardest part. It takes it takes time. You got to read stuff. Damn it! I think it's actually kind of working out what your natural advantage is. To be honest, uh, a lot of times I think, like you said, Jazz, it was a really good point. You know, eliminate what you're not good at, and then try to work out what you're good at. But <laughs> I think a lot of times people don't even know what they what they're really good at. So it's a, it's a long journey to find out, explore who you really are and what you're really good at until, because you might think what you're good at something, but then might not, unfortunately might not necessarily be that way until you actually figured, Hey, I actually have a passion for something else and I'm actually a lot better at it. But then you just eliminated that at the same time as well. Right. So might took a while though. Might took a while. It always, that's the hardest game. Mm. Uh, What's your favorite? I'm I'm, I'm with David. That's my favorite one. Um, Yeah what you naturally grat i'm right on the money with that mm. yeah. well guys this is uh this is wisdom not advice uh this is this is age old wisdom um and there's 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 lots of it we we love talking about these are you um, saying we're getting old 
<laughs> he's looking at <laughs> 90s videos now. I, I think next time we're going to be looking at 70s video. <laughs> well, we, tr- back. <laughs> we try to go timeless in these videos. This is really timeless advice. And I love talking about, you know, brands like Coca-Cola and Toys R Us and uh, Blockbuster Video. Dunkin uh, Donuts. Are they still around? <laughs> <laughs> I think they are. I don't know about Toys R Us though. Uh, but guys, um, uh, th- thanks for tuning in. Again, it's not advice, but uh, but it is wisdom. So uh, so take it as you will. Um, if you would like us to cover any topics or if you'd like us to cover any uh, great investors, leave us a comment or send us an email. Uh, and um, in the meantime, just, you know, as we say, don't, uh, don't over leverage. Uh, stay within your, your sphere of competence that's ever expanding, I'm sure. And we will see you next week at Spark Your Fire. Goodbye, everyone. See ya.